open up your Bibles now, please, to Daniel chapter 5. This is now week 5 here in this series of the book of Daniel. Really appreciated going through this with everyone. Today's message is entitled Handyman Dan, and you'll see why that is referenced that way. We looked at Daniel 4 last week, which is the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar and how he came to his senses and he put his faith in Almighty God. It wasn't just that God had his attention anymore, God had his heart. And so we see that in Daniel 4, and now as we get into Daniel 5, at least 20 years has gone by since Daniel chapter 4. Daniel's now about 90 years old, and God is still using him. So let that ring loud for everybody who's listening. And in a moment here, we'll be introduced to a new Babylonian king, and I'll walk through that in a moment. But I also want us to recall back in Daniel chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream, and there was this statue, right? And it was out of all these different elements. There was the gold and the silver and all of that. And so in Daniel 2, verse 32, I want to just make note of this verse. So when we look at this statue that was... In that chapter, the head of the statue was made of fine gold, and its chest and arms were silver. And we're about to witness the transition of that, from the gold to the silver, and specifically to these two nations, the Medes and the Persians, okay? And we're going to see that transition of power here in Daniel 5. But I wanted to recall that from Daniel 2, and you can see how God was at work as he is sovereign and in control, and he sees all things, he knows all things, and we see it now take place here in Daniel 5. But before we read from the Bible, I want to ask the Lord to bless this time, and so would you join me in prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time right now as we gather around the Word of God. Lord, your Word is inspired And Lord, we ask for your anointing upon this time, that you would speak into our hearts and lives. And Lord, that you would cause verses to jump off the pages and speak into our hearts. I pray that we'd grow closer to Jesus today and that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. We pray for the children's ministry. We ask a blessing upon the team and the kids that they would all lean into Christ as well through the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity together. Please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel 5, starting here in verse 1. It says, Many years later, King Belshazzar, new king here, he gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. Now, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. How many of you right now are like, that's probably not a good idea? So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand 
writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. And he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed and his face turned pale. His nobles, too, were shaken. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot do it. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Well, Daniel answered the king, Keep your gifts or give them to someone else, but I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow. And he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. 
You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. This is the message that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is what these words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. All right, lots to unpack here in this passage, and we'll start here with Daniel 5, verse 1. There's a new king in town, and we need to sort of set this up so we have an understanding here. It says, many years later, King Belshazzar. So we we transition from King Nebuchadnezzar in literally like a verse. We're now on to somebody else. And so I want to give us a little context here. After King Nebuchadnezzar, his son took over for two years until he was murdered by his brother-in-law. And then that brother-in-law took over, and he reigned for four years. And then the guy that took over after him was his son. And he reigned for two months. And he was assassinated. And then we have one of Nebuchadnezzar's son, a guy by the name of Nabonidus, takes over. And he's going to reign for about 16 to 17 years. And one thing you need to know about Nabonidus, yes, he was put in power, but he was like, I really don't want to be in Babylon. I've got other things to do. So he puts into power a co-regent, and that would be this Belshazzar, and that is his son. And so we got a little bit of a family line here from Nebuchadnezzar to Nabonidus and now Belshazzar. So Nebuchadnezzar would be grandpa. Most people would see it that way. And so we have this new king, and approximately 20-some years has gone by. And as that's going on, you see Daniel has maybe been forgotten. Remember the position that he had under Nebuchadnezzar, number two man, and now they've forgotten about him. He's sort of faded. And you can see not only have they forgotten about Daniel, but they have forgotten about God. And you see this grandson throwing this drunken party. And then he has what he feels is this brilliant idea. Hey, guys, remember all the stuff that my grandpa brought from the temple in Jerusalem? Go get that so we can throw an even more elaborate party. And so they go and they bring it. And this drunkenness takes place with all these items that are considered holy. And as they're doing this, they're also worshiping and drinking to their pagan gods who are dead gods. 
And they're throwing it up, having a good time, and treating sacred things like this is a major no-no. And all of a sudden, it says, suddenly, they saw fingers from a human hand show up. Boy, wouldn't that get your attention? And this hand begins to write on the wall, and, and you see that he's struck with fear. In fact, it says that his knees begin knocking together and his legs are about to give way. Belshazzar's like, what in the world? You kind of wonder if he's like, take this drink, I think I've had enough. But he's freaking out, and he's not the only one. I mean, people are seeing this go down, and there's some sort of message that's been written on this wall, and they don't know what it means, and the king's like, I got to know what this means. This is, this is crazy. This is clearly supernatural. I'm, I'm, I need to know what this is. And so there's this all call. We've seen this before. I need to bring in all these enchanters and astrologers and fortune tellers, and they're going to tell me what this means, and I'm going to give them a reward. If you could tell me what this means, I got rewards. You'll be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So he brings them all in, but they're not able to help. You see, King Belshazzar, he is a wreck. And in verses 8 and 9, all the king's horses and men are not able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. He is distraught. He can't figure things out. They're not able to help. In fact, it says that his nobles too now, they're shaken. They're worried. They're concerned. What in the world does this mean? And then thank the Lord for moms. Right? It says the queen mother goes, I got an idea. Hey, Daniel, I remember this guy named Daniel. Now, we don't know if this was Nabonidus' wife or if it happened to be Nebuchadnezzar's wife. We just know it's either mom or grandma bringing in some counsel here that I think is inspired by the Lord. They can't figure this out, and queen mother is like, hey, Daniel, call or, hey, King Belshazzar, call on Daniel. I think he might be able to help. I've seen this before. I've heard about this. And so that's what they do. She says, call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So there's this meet and greet that takes place. Daniel's brought in before the king. The king asks him, are, are you Daniel? You know, are, you, are you the one? I, I've heard about you. And, and both the queen mother and King Belshazzar say the same thing that King Nebuchadnezzar was saying before he had his encounter with God. He goes, the spirit of the gods is in you. It was this worldly way to say, if there's something about you, and clearly I want to know more. He says, I'm told that you can give interpretations and you can solve difficult problems. And please tell me the meaning of these words. And before Daniel just goes in and lays out the meaning of these words, he has a few things to say. And the first is a history lesson, verses 17 through 21. He goes, let me talk to you about King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about him. All right? God gave him a position. God gave him that position. Now, we know it went to his head. And we know that the uh, verse for this week, verse 20, 
when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Now we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar right there. And so God, who's in control, says, Nebuchadnezzar, that's enough. I'm going to bring you low. And we went through that last week with the message about chew your cud and how he was eating out in the field like a cow. And he lived among the wild donkeys. And he was that way until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and he appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. So Nebuchadnezzar learned the lesson. There's some history here that that can be gleaned from. God is in control. Who in the world do people think they are? And then just remember, God's the one who puts people in positions of leadership. But the lesson is not learned. And Daniel confronts King Belshazzar here in verses 22 and 23. He says... You, Belshazzar, you knew all this, yet you've not humbled yourself. I wonder how that resonated for him. Was he thinking through his decisions, maybe as a a young man watching his grandpa go through this transformation? But the power goes to his head. It says, you've proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. It says you've not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Again, they were worshiping dead idols. And bringing in these elements from the temple of God to to join in on this drunken party. And Daniel says, you're not honoring the God who gives you the very breath of life. The one who controls your destiny. You're not even recognizing him. In fact, it's like you're going the other direction. You're, You're defiling. And so here's the message to you. And it's a message of judgment. It says, God has sent this hand to write this message. Mene, mene, to Kale and Parson. And I'll break these words down. The meaning of these words are spelled out in the passage, but there's also things you can read that bring a little bit more meaning to light here. But mene means numbered or also tested. And basically what Daniel's saying here is, listen, king, your days are numbered. And we know that by reading the rest of the passage because that very night, it's over. And so he knows that things are numbered. And then it says to Kale, which means you've been weighed and you've also been found wanting or you've been found deficient. You are lacking And what God is looking for in a leader. You you don't have it, Belshazzar. And so because of that, then this word parson, other translations you might see, uparson, that word means to be divided. We're going to parse things. But also that word can also indicate that of Persia. 
which is really interesting given the kingdoms that were coming in to take over power. He says, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So Daniel brings this message, and clearly the king accepts that this is an accurate read of what was happening here, and so the reward is given. It says, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And you're like, woo! You're raised up into leadership in a nation whose clock is ticking. As I thought about this week, it's like, it's like getting a gift card to a store that's going out of business, you know? <laughs> or you get a promotion in a company that's about to shut its doors. Like whoop-de-doo, right? So we see all this going on, and we know that the clock is ticking on Babylon. And before we get to this next point, I want to explain to you a little bit of Babylon and their power and their might. This, this was a walled city, and the wall was 30 feet high, and it went all the way around. And they had a river that ran through the city. And this river was also trenched to, to run through the sea, but then also to bring a moat around those walls. This was a secured city. And they had enough supplies in this city to last them 20 years if something went down. And in one night, we see the power be transferred. Well, just as these walls are their security, these walls become their prison. And the Medes and the Persians, they were upstream, and they dammed up the river, and that allowed them then to come into the city where the river was flowing. So they're able to get into this fortified city, and that very night, they take things over. Little did Belshazzar know that he was celebrating his funeral. What's interesting is this happened on October 13th. So we're coming up on the anniversary. Kind of interesting. Over 2,500 years ago, but it was about this time of year. And the power was transferred and Babylon is now defeated as it says in verses 30 and 31 that very night Belshazzar the Babylonian king was killed and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62 and that's where the chapter ends boy it was a quick little appearance for that king wasn't it Belshazzar, he's here one minute and he's gone the next. And what we know of him is that he was a man filled with pride and he was brought low. And this King Darius, there is debate as far as is this a whole other king? It could be that this is a title for um, Cyrus or another guy, Gubaru, who would be a co-regent under Cyrus. And you can look into more of that. But we know that the title here is this King Darius is taking over this Mede. He's been put in power over 
Babylon. And we'll see more regarding this next week in Daniel 6. But with all the things that have transpired here in Daniel 5, I want to take some time to walk through some application for our lives. And perhaps you've already been thinking of things as as you've been going through this, but one of the life lessons here that I think that can be learned, Daniel gave him the history lesson, and then he said, and Belshazzar, you did not listen. You did not pay attention. And so for all of us, let us learn something from the history lessons that come from a prideful heart. The Bible is filled with accounts of people who puffed themselves up and thought they were something special and then they lose everything. Throughout Scripture, we see that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let us learn something from these stories of men who are filled with these prideful hearts. And while we're there, there was so much pride and arrogance that Belshazzar's like, let's let's crank this party up a notch and bring in these sacred items and let's let that sort of increase the temperature of our party. They're taking the temple items. They're engaged here in this drunken, idolatrous worship. And it makes me think of the passage in 2 Corinthians 6 where the Bible says, how can light live with darkness? And what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? See how that fits with this passage? And let's consider what that means for us here today in the New Testament era. You and I, as followers of Christ, we are God's temple. And there's things that we take in day in and day out. We are light and our world is filled with darkness. How much of that darkness do we allow to come into our lives? What kind of relationships do we seek? Do we seek relationships that that would actually be full of light and, and encourage us in our walk with Christ? Or do we engage in relationships that would hinder that? Do we partner with things that God would say, that's not sacred, I want you to stay away from that? It's interesting, too, the timing of this. This week I was at an establishment, a place where uh, you would consider this place to be a ministry. And I was there, and I, I walk into the building only to be met with all kinds of decor that I would consider to be demonic. The reception desk had all kinds of skulls lined up. And I'm like, this is what is meeting me here at this establishment that's supposed to be ministering to people. And then I turn over toward the lobby and we got all this other demonic things hanging. And then while that's also hanging, you all also have these spiritual things that are hanging around it where those are normally hung up. But during this season... We sort of elevate things that are dark. What kind of harmony is there with Christ and the devil? I was bugged. And I'm not trying to come at this position from a holier than thou or look at Russ, he's so righteous and I can just judge, 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 judge. I'm just like, if you're going to set the tone with this place being a ministry, why do you have all of this stuff hanging up? 
Why are you making a big deal out of this? And it bothered me so much that as I was leaving the place, I'm like, I'm looking for someone in charge, looking for someone in charge. And not that I'm like, I'm going to have a word with you, but I'm going to share with you from my heart why I feel this is dangerous and this is not encouraging. What kind of harmony is there with darkness if you claim to be of the light? And I couldn't find anybody in leadership. But that still bothered me to the point where I picked up my phone when I was back out on the road. And I'm like, I'm going to make a call and I'm going to leave a message with someone in charge. I've not heard anything back. And I did not explain on the message why I was calling other than I would really like to talk to you. There's something that's been laid on my heart that I would like to share. But what kind of harmony is there with darkness, if we claim to be people of light. Now, that's one example, but think of all the things we let creep into our lives. I could look at that example and be like, shame on them, but it caused this introspective look of, Russ, what are things in your life that you are viewing, that you are taking in, that you need to take some inventory of your own life? And what are things of darkness that you need to say no more? Let us learn something from the history lessons of a prideful heart, and even being so bold to say is let us consider things in our life that God's like, I don't want that there. Remove that. And to think, do we have that audacity like Belshazzar to think I can just walk around as a temple of God and participate in things that are ungodly? If we choose that, you're just like a king who God opposed. Number two. This one's more encouraging. If it seems that God is not using you, be patient with his timing. Okay, Daniel, he was number two in command. Then there was this transfer of power, and somehow Daniel faded into the back. And this is like 20 years later. They're like, oh yeah, this guy Daniel, he might be able to help interpret what it is that you're struggling with. How frustrated do you think Daniel was year after year being like, oh, remember when Nebuchadnezzar surrendered his heart to God? And I could help make some decisions that I felt God wanted me to make that would be a benefit for the kingdom. And now they've forgotten me. And I'm 90 years old. I'm sure he was frustrated. And I think there's times where we feel like, God, are you up to something? Are you doing something here? And you're going, God, are you even using me in this season? Be patient with his timing. God is sovereign, He is in control. And he's in control of your life and your circumstances, so be patient with him and trust what it is that he's doing. At just the right time, God brought Daniel back into the equation to interpret this, and the king's like, I'm going to make you third in command. And I know I joked about that. It's like, well, that lasted for a half a second. But one thing you got to know is that when there is transfer of power, when, when the enemy comes in and takes over, the enemy's also looking for some leadership. And the next power that would come in 
puts Daniel in a position of leadership. I think God knows what he's doing. If it seems like God's not using you, be patient with his timing. Another thing to just say here while we're there, hear me very clearly. I've heard this a few times as of late. It seems like our government is full of a, a people that belong in a nursing home. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Then you see the clips where there just seems to be like, you know, the wheel's spinning, but the hamster's not there kind of thing, you know. So here's the thing. I know we can joke about that, but listen to me very clearly. Daniel was 90 years old, and he's put in these positions of some crazy leadership. What makes someone a quality leader is what the Spirit of God is doing in their heart and life. I don't care how old you are. How sensitive are you to the Spirit of God, and how in tune to his voice are you? God, give us Wisdom, grace, and guidance. Give us leaders who have the Spirit of God leading them. If it seems that God may not be using you, be patient with his timing, and you are never too old to be used by the Spirit of God. Number three, last point. Ask God to weigh your heart and reveal to you any area that is needing his touch. And I'm pulling that here from those words that were spelled out by the hand. And the meaning one was, you've been weighed and you've been found lacking. Okay, God, we can look at a story and be like, wow, look at King Belshazzar. Man, that guy, you know, didn't have it together. Okay, let's look at our own lives for a second. Is there any area of your life where you need God to show up? You need him to touch that area of your life. Is there any area of your life that is found lacking? Let's let the Spirit of God reveal those things, minister to those things, touch those things. God wants to be at work in your life. God does not want you to be lacking spiritually. And so as we take that inventory, go to him. And Lord, please help me in this area. Give me your grace. And I know there's a pretty heavy tone of God's serious and, and there was judgment that came down on the king and be careful about your pride. And in the midst of all of that, I want us to hear this. The grace of God is ready to meet you right where you're at. I said earlier, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we humble ourselves before God and we go, God, I need your help. I can't do these things on my own. I don't want this life to be about me. Because there's a day that's coming where I'll stand before God Almighty and I'll give an account of my actions. Of my own actions. Belshazzar, he's not going to stand before God and be like, my grandpa was great. So I'm here hoping I get in because of him. And I don't know why I went southern accent there, but that's just... <laughs> Sounds like Belshazzar. <laughs> but he's riding the coattails, right? Well, listen, you got to decide who you are going to serve. Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, they can invest in you spiritually, but there's a certain point where you got to make a decision. And if you think, I'm going to get in because my spouse is really in with God, you are going to stand before God and give an account for your own 
actions. Is there any area where God needs to come and touch that area? It's possible there's someone listening right now and you, you take that, that look into your own heart and you're going, I don't even know if God has my life, let alone an area of my heart. I want to encourage you to encounter the grace of God, to humble yourself right now and say, God, I need you in my life. And as you do, I believe God will meet you and he will transform your life. Lean into him. He wants to be at work in and through your circumstances, but most importantly, in and through your heart. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this account of this very real king who was throwing a very real party and supernaturally this hand shows up and begins to write this message and it spooked him, it scared him and and then Daniel, this real man, comes in and, and he's able to help. Lord, we can also compare this passage with what's taken place in history. We know that this isn't fictitious stuff. This is stuff that's really happened. And that you truly are a God who's in control and you are a God who's serious about pride and, and serious about those who come to you with humility and you're going to bring them a grace this is what your word says, and we want to take you at your word. Father, I pray that we would be patient with your timing. If there's anyone right now that's listening, and you feel like, I don't know, I should just give up. Where, where I work, what I'm doing, I'm frustrated. And God, where are you? I pray, Father, that you would just speak to their heart and remind them that everything we do, if we do it for the Lord, it's not in vain. Encourage that person today. And fathers, as we look at our hearts, at our lives, and, and we, we ask you to weigh us, we say, Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that you want to minister to? We lay that at your feet right now, Jesus. And if there's someone listening right now that and when I talked about giving your life to God and you want to surrender that here today, I want to share with you the gospel. God created you for a relationship with him. But sin separates us from God. And the Bible says we're all sinners and we all fall short. But God's grace meets us in that. In fact, the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And he rose from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is calling people into a relationship that comes through Jesus Christ, the one who paid for your sin. And if you desire to receive him right now, I invite you to pray with me in your heart and just simply say, Jesus, I need you. And so today I'm asking for you to come into my life. And I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin that separates me from you.
and I put my faith and trust in what you've done for me on the cross. And I receive that forgiveness. Give me a new heart. Give me a new life. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior. We lift this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.